the That's Good From You podcast welcomes you into a dynamic conversation about faith and following King Jesus in a complex world. Join us as we grapple with difficult questions and learn to live in the tension. Welcome back to the That's Good From You podcast. Woo. We are excited to be here. We've had some technical difficulties uh, this afternoon, but we are on and running. Um, yeah. It's been a little while, hasn't it, Sophie? It has been way too long. I don't even know why. Easter? Was it Easter that... I was thrown into ice. Oh, no, that was last episode. Yeah. I, what why? has happened since then? I think I Easter. <laughs> Life's just happened. You went to the Mount. I did. Yeah. Mount Gambia, favorite place in the whole wide world. Nice. Amazing. Yes, Easter happened. We hope your Easter was amazing and mm. that um, you learned lots of things. <laughs> I have a question for Sophie. Mm. Um, around Easter, what was one thing that you learned? I've just been interested. <laughs> yep. So the one thing that I learned over the weekend, the Easter weekend, was to how was how to paint a straight line. A what? straight line. So I spent the Easter weekend in the Barossa with my family, helping my grandpa paint my mum's house. And when I saw that you were going to ask me this question, I thought I had better come up with a really good spiritual Jesus answer for this. Because when you say, what did you learn over the Easter weekend? My imagination is that you want want me to say like, I learned some phenomenal new new thing about the resurrection of Jesus. Nope. I learned to paint a straight line to cut in when you're painting a room. Now, I thought that that was hilarious that my brain went to the spiritual first rather Mm. than the physical, given what we're talking about today. Totally. This Mm -hmm. idea, the topic for our podcast today is you don't have a soul. We love a good (laughs) clickbait title. We are going to unpack that more. But it really is at the end of the day about the separation between the physical and spiritual and how we see one is more important than the other. And so when you asked me that question, I thought... I need to come up with a good spiritual answer. (laughs) And then I thought, why can't my physical activity and, you know, serving my mum over the Easter weekend be seen as a spiritual act? Mm. Or just as important as what one might be. Yeah, exactly. And so that's what we're going to unpack today. But we just thought we'd let you know that this is actually a continuation of our Easter series. Yes, We don't know if it actually feels like a series to you, but trust us, it's all been building towards next episode. 100% the kind of planning that we've had. (laughs) What's taking place in next episode is going to... Be the climax. Yes, that's right. And so last episode, just to connect us back to what we've been talking about, last episode we explored the idea of Jesus' resurrection, Mm -hmm. different to resuscitation, this idea that Jesus went through death into some new creation life that's waiting for all of us on the other side of death. And so what we're talking about today is kind of some things we need to know before we get to talking about new creation in the next episode, that when God raises all of us from the dead, when we're all resurrected, we'll be in the new creation. That's exactly right. And before we jump into new creation, Mm -hmm. we thought that there are a few ideologies that were worth unpacking Mm -hmm. because we think that there are a few things that have to be reshaped or at least redefined when it comes to the kind of language that we use around eternity or Mm -hmm. the afterlife um, or new creation. Because often this language that we conjure up in our heads, at least the ideas that we conjure up, around heaven and souls and eternity, these words, it's far different um, from the way the Bible uses that language to what we actually think about when those words are thrown out. And so I guess a part of what we're actually unpacking today is this concept that's thrown around, this language that's (laughs) used when we hear and say things like, your soul needs to be saved so you can go to heaven when you die. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Look, Sophie, I know you have many opinions. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah. But tell me straight up, what 
what is wrong with this kind of sentence? What is unhelpful about this kind of statement? <laughs> I think that there's nothing particularly helpful about that <laughs> statement, if you want my honest opinion. Um, everything in me just reacts badly to hearing a sentence like that. <laughs> Perhaps if I was being a little bit more accurate or more nuanced or a bit more fair, I think when people hear a sentence like that, what, pe- what comes to people's minds is often wrong or at least incomplete compared to what the Bible means when it uses that kind of language. And so if I was to ask you the question, what comes to mind when you hear the word soul or what comes to mind when you hear the word heaven, or what do you think is in the popular imagination? Mm, mm-hmm. Do you think the average person is actually considering what the first century Jewish idea of soul and heaven no is way, right? or what they see in the Simpsons or what they've seen in yeah. art history. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So usually what's in the popular imagination has to do with disembodied souls going to fluffy white cloud land after we die. Mm-hmm. Uh, that some inner spiritual part of us survives beyond death. Yeah. And that spiritual part of us is going to live somewhere else forever. Yeah. Yeah. And so for one, like it's just future thinking. Mm. It puts the importance on this one day in the future. And honestly, it doesn't really mean much for our lives right now. Like the importance is this destination of heaven. One day, one day we'll get there. But not only that, but it's actually like limiting us to this spiritual state. It's saying that we have this divided self, this spiritual part of us, our soul that needs saving. And that's actually what's the most important. Yeah. So often what people think when they hear those words soul and heaven is not actually what the Bible is describing. Mm. More often our ideas of soul or heaven have been shaped, like I said, by medieval art and by modern advertising Mm -hmm. and modern TV shows than what the Bible actually says. And so we want to be really, really careful that when we hear the words soul or heaven, that we don't automatically assume that we already know what they mean and then fill the picture in our mind with TV shows we've seen or different pieces of art we've seen. We want to ask what picture is the Bible trying to paint Mm. when it uses those words? And that is so hard because we have English translations (laughs) of ancient Hebrew and Greek texts. And I don't want to like throw mud on our English translations. They are amazing, Mm -hmm. but it's really hard to translate from one language to another and to find a word in English that sums up a word in ancient Hebrew or Greek. Uh, And so what we actually want to do is to understand the meaning of the words in the original languages Mm -hmm. and then also understand the worldview of people who were living 4,000 to 2,000 years ago that we can't interview, that we can't time travel back to and ask them questions. Mm -hmm. But we want to try and understand these people who lived in a very different time and a very different place to us. Mm. So the point is the Bible does talk about our future destiny. I don't want anyone to hear us as saying like, there's no heaven, (laughs) whatever. That's not the case. It's just that soul and heaven language, I don't think is the most helpful language to describe our future destiny as God's people. So let's kick off by unpacking some thoughts around how we even got this word soul or what sits under it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Emma, you, for some reason, (laughs) have been really passionate about the Hebrew word from the Old Testament that sometimes gets translated as soul. So what is it? Tell us about it. Oh, la, la. I'm so excited. Okay. So firstly, this idea that a soul is this disembodied spiritual party, lives on forever, is not actually what the Mm. Hebrew word translated as soul means. Mm. So the Hebrew word for soul is nefesh. And the most basic meaning of the word nefesh is throat. So the root word in Hebrew stems back to this idea of breath or Mm. breathing creature. And that's where we get the word throat from. Like breath exists in the throat. Mm. It's the passageway of life because breath is life. 
So the word nefesh um, at its basic meaning is throat because from throat comes breath and breath is life. Yep. So the word is designed to actually draw attention to the physicality of a person, not to this non-physical disembodied part of you that lives on forever, but Mm -hmm. to this embodied existence. Mm -hmm. So I want to jump into some translations to kind of make things more grounded for you. But firstly, in the Hebrew Bible, the word nefesh occurs 754 times Hmm. and only approximately 10% of those are translated as soul. Hmm. The word occurs 754 yeah, times, only 10% of those are translated as soul. Huh. Nefesh um, is one of the most common words actually used in the Bible. So other than the words like God or they went walking, like walking or place. Mm. The other 90% of the time for, for which the word nefesh is translated, the word is and can be translated as words like life. Mm. Um, and that's its most frequent translation or other words could be translated into like throat or breath, which we've spoken about breathing creature, Mm. even person or body or you or I. So when we look at the range of meanings for this word, we can see that almost every time the word nefesh is used, it's seeking to to convey this idea that a physical embodiment or existence is at the root of this word. That is completely different, if not almost the opposite of what we imagine with soul. Totally. It's like it, nefesh has this physicality to it and then we translate it as soul. It's mm-hmm. so interesting. Yeah. Even the fact that like one of the words translated or one of the range of meanings is body. Yeah. Like yeah. that seems so opposite. You're exactly right. Mm. But here, if we jump into some examples. So we have Numbers 11 and here in this passage, the Israelites, they're wandering in the wilderness and they're complaining that they don't have anything to eat. And they say our nefesh has dried up. Hmm. Our nefesh has dried up. So they aren't using this word metaphorically in any way. Like they're in a desert. Mm. This isn't like some disembodied entity they're talking about here. They're saying they're thirsty. They're hungry. Our nefesh has dried up. Our throat has dried up. Mm. But there are, however, like plenty of examples in the Old Testament where there are metaphorical uses of the word nefesh. So if we jump to Psalm 46, like Mm. as the deer pants for living water, so my nefesh longs after you. Mm. It's saying my throat, my soul, my life thirsts for God. But catch this, right? Because even in this metaphor, it's not talking about this disembodied part (laughs) of us that we might usually think that exists, you know, beyond our bodies that thirsts Mm. for God. It's not saying this spiritual part of me that longs for God. It's saying my nefesh, my life, who I am longs for God. It's this idea of this holistic whole of a person longing for God. It's an every Mm. part of this person thirsts for him. Yeah, wow. Mm. So if we're starting to capture this idea that the Hebrew word for soul isn't just Mm. talking about this spiritual part of you that's going to live on forever, but it's talking about an embodied physical life here and now. Yeah. The physicality to it. Mm. Um, So different. Bonkers, isn't it? Seriously. And I want to just like bring some of this home for you guys. Mm. So if we jump to Genesis 1 and 2, when God creates Adam, he takes the dirt and he breathes his living breath into it, right? He breathes his ruach, his spirit into Adam. And the Bible says that Adam became a living creature, Hmm. that Adam became a living nefesh. Hmm. Adam became a living soul, a living person. So God didn't give Adam a nefesh. God didn't give Adam a soul. What we read is that Adam became a nefesh. It's this embodied existence, embodied humans inhabiting an embodied physical world, living as souls, Mm. not with souls. Mm. What gets me in all of this, 
uh, when I'm thinking about it, it's not it's not just humans that have this nefesh. Mm. We actually oh, read before mm. Adam was created that the animals became nefesh. Mm-hmm. And so often in Christianity, oh. the thing that we say distinguishes human beings from animals is that we have a soul and animals don't. Right. Mm-hmm. But Genesis tells us that the animals were created as nefesh. Yes. And so they have the yeah. same life or the same thing that we can't necessarily put language to yeah. as humans. And that, I think, disrupts my thinking about souls more than anything else. Because if nefesh is both something that humans are and something that animals are, uh-huh. we maybe yeah. really have not understood this properly. Totally. Living mm. creatures with a living breath. Mm. Well, so there's some Hebrew for you, and I think it would be helpful, although, to touch on what mm. the almost like equivalent word might appear mm. to be in the New Testament. So if we jump into the Greek, um, the original language in which the New Testament was mm. written, Sophie, can you just take us through what might be the equivalent word used for soul in the New Testament? Yeah. So the Greek word in the New Testament that's translated as soul, often in our English translation, is mm. the Greek word suke or psuke. Uh, mm-hmm. It looks like the word psyche. If you ever yeah. saw it, you'd think that's the word psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like with nefesh in Hebrew, it has a range of possible meanings. So similar to the Hebrew word nefesh, one of the key meanings of psuche is breath, mm-hmm. the life force that animates the body of both humans and animals. Oh, so cool. So again, this should be disrupting how we have understood the word soul if animals are included in on this. Um, Another key meaning of it is simply life or living being. Um, So I don't know if this still happens, but if a a pilot of an aeroplane was to say there are a hundred souls on this plane, they don't mean a hundred disembodied spirits. (laughs) No. They mean a hundred living human beings. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And so the word can simply mean life or living being. Mm -hmm. And then the word suke can also talk about the place of our feelings, desires, and emotions. Hmm. Kind of in the same way that we would say our heart is the seat of our emotions. Now, the emotions don't actually live in our, the physical beating heart inside our body. Yeah, yeah. It's a way of connecting a thing that we feel or experience with maybe where we feel it in our body. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can be talked about in that way. People might come back to me though and say, well, there are places in the Bible where it, it does seem to separate out the different parts of us. Mm-hmm. And you can see yep. that. Like uh, one that often comes up is, uh, it's in Luke 10, 27, but it's also in the other some of the other gospels. Yeah. This idea of loving the God with our body, soul, strength, and mind. Mm. So it really does see that the Bible is categorizing the different parts of us. Yep. I don't think though that this passage is asking us to figure out what does it mean for me to love God with my body only? Mm. What does it mean for me to love God with my mind only? Mm-hmm. What does it mean for God me to love God with my soul only? It's actually using all the different parts of us to say all of us, mm. the whole of who we are is to love God. It's actually a holistic picture that we're called to love God with all of who we are, not to try and figure out what each of those means and how do I love God with my body? Obviously as a whole person, we're going to love God with our bodies, Yeah. but I don't think the separation out of those things is necessarily the thing to focus on Mm. there. It's a whole, a picture of a whole of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so it's the same with the word nefesh. The word suke uh, in Greek is, is a holistic picture as well. hundred percent. I hear you. Yep. For sure. Um, I have a question because like it just seems so disconnected. Mm. Our understanding now when the word soul is used just seems so different from 
Yeah. These original ways in which the Hebrew writers were understanding the word nefesh. Mm. Um, and so, like, how has the way we now understand the word soul become so disconnected from the original <laughs> yeah. writers, the way the Hebrews understood the word uh, nefesh to mean and what the Greek writers understood the word um, suke to mean? Mm. So this time we get to blame the Greeks, um, <laughs> the ancient Greeks, I should say. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Sorry, guys. Um, uh, but the Reformation guys get let off a little bit on this one. But <laughs> but we we blame the Greeks because the way the Bible uses the word nefesh and particularly the Greek word suke uh, and the way the Greeks thought about the world are very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we want to make sure that we are coming from a Jewish or early Christian worldview rather than being influenced by Greek thinking. So the Jews and early Christians saw no division or separation or distinction between body and soul or spiritual and physical. Mm. That's Greek philosophy, not the Bible. (laughs) And so that needs to be really clear. The Bible doesn't see us as disintegrated people with one part being more important than Uh another part. In fact, I would say Paul, like the author of you know the letters most of the letters in the new testament probably spends more time addressing how we treat our own bodies and the bodies of others than how he does on how we treat our emotions or whatever you want to call that inner part of ourselves mm-hmm. the bible has a holistic view of humans that includes our bodies mm-hmm. uh, and this clear division between body and soul is not in the biblical or jewish worldview okay okay but well then how did we lose this Jewish way of thinking and yeah. end up adopting the Greek way of seeing that? Yeah. So you got to understand that the um, the Greek Empire, um, which was before Jesus' day, was so influential in the world, mm. and so it was like was the water the people were swimming in. Totally. And so the church leaders in the early church were talking after the time of the Bible being written were so influenced by Greek thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were all these Greek philosophers, some of them you will have heard of, Socrates, Plato, Homer. They they all were really influential in the life of the early church in unhelpful ways. Mm. Um, and so all the Greek philosophers had different ideas about the afterlife and the soul, and some of them were pretty depressing. So Homer, who's famous mm-hmm. for writing a book called The Iliad, gotcha. he said that everyone who dies, no matter what, goes to Hades and are <laughs> ghosts or phantoms of what they once were. Jeez. So in his thinking there's no good place everyone ends up in Hades All right. Socrates was maybe a little bit more hopeful he believed that we would be disembodied spirits or ghosts but that life would pretty much go on as it is now that we would mm. you know for example get to meet people and and have conversations with them so it was a little bit more hopeful and then Plato he is probably mm. responsible for having the biggest impact on Christian thinking around the body and soul mm. so we really need to understand what Plato was on about He believed that the soul was the core of the human being. It was the most important part of the human. It was the good part of the human. It just sounds so familiar. Even what you're saying, I'm just like, yep, yep. Yeah, of course it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, You know? And then he believed that the body was bad and dangerous. So there's this real separation between body and soul. And that the good soul is trapped inside the bad body. And so Plato actually thought death was a really good thing, something to look forward to. Because death was the way you released your soul from the prison of your body. Wow. Yeah. So this worldview is known as Platonism. I'm an N.T. Wright. You should be getting familiar with his name. He has this amazing book called Surprised by Hope. And in that, he says that Plato has had the most influence on the Western world out of probably any other person in human history. No way. It's a big claim. It's a massive claim, but it's probably... 
it's probably pretty fair. Yeah. He also had a, had a massive influence on an early Christian thinker called Marcion. Now, if you go and do <laughs> church history, you know that we would call him a heretic now. He's not the kind of person you'd want to follow. But at the time, he was a Christian thinker, mm. and he was greatly influenced by Platonism, so much so that Marcion said that the body is a sack of human excrement, oh unfit for God to incarnate himself into, and that salvation meant saving the soul from the body. Wow. Does that sound familiar? Oh, salvation is saving the soul from the body. Yes. So I think it's a fair question to ask if modern Christians have actually been more influenced by a Greek understanding of the world than by the actual biblical view of the world. It's a, it's a big wow. claim and I know that. But everyday thinking has been massively shaped by the Greek hatred of mm-hmm. all things physical and the love for all things spiritual. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you might be listening to this and go, I don't believe it. I'm not sold on that idea. So I want you to stop for a moment and think, how many worship songs have you heard that have been written where there's a lyric like, the world is not my home and we are just passing through? <laughs> You're laughing. Not even like worship songs. I mean, look. Don't mind me loving Chris Tomlin. I'll probably get some hate for that. But I like my funeral song is picked out. Chris Tomlin, home. Everyone go look it up. And I just, I used to love it. And now it just really challenges me because the lyrics are, I'm going home where the streets are golden and every chain is broken. Oh, I want to go home. I want to go home. Mm. And I'm just like, wow, this idea of, yeah, this, this whole life right now is just not our destination. Heaven's mm. our destination. We're just passing through. Mm. But it makes me have a giggle because <laughs> when I was growing up, um, shout out to my older sister. Uh, we had, I was obsessed with Carrie Underwood. <laughs> And she has this song called Temporary Home. And it, the music video is like literally will just make you weep. She's like in a hospital and someone, she's like saying goodbye to her dad. And then like there's just like so many things. And essentially she's just like singing this huge ballad about how um, it's – this is just her temporary home. Mm. Um, it's not where I belong. <laughs> um, she's like people in, people in rooms, there's something about passing through. Mm. Oh, yeah, this line. She goes, this is just a stop. On the way to where I'm going. <laughs> and then she goes all high and she's like, I'm not afraid because I know this is my temporary home. Oh my gosh. Sorry, that was really long winded for mm. your um mm. for your question of hey, think about worship songs because this point It's helpful of, though. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> because like these these worship songs and these Christian songs are an easy target because they're yeah. putting, you know, theology and words out there into the public space. Carry. But they don't necessarily have a major implication for how we live. And I mean, they can shape our thinking around this stuff, but it doesn't necessarily change the way I live day to day. So it could seem like making fun of those songs could make this all seem like it's not a serious problem that we've taken on Greek thinking rather than a biblical worldview. But if we take this seriously, if we take Mm -hmm. the Greek idea of the body and the physical world being crap, that's Mm -hmm. literally what Marcion says, a sack of excrement. If we take it that way, then we it leads to us treating the world like a garbage dump mm-hmm. because the physical doesn't matter or treating our own bodies and other people's bodies in really inhumane ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I would say that understanding that the Bible sees creation as fundamentally good, of course, broken in its current state, mm-hmm. but fundamentally it's God's good world should change the way that we live in the world and the way that we treat others. Yeah, fully. And so what we are saying at the heart of it is truly that 
like the physical matters. Mm. And we have been feeding on this idea that there is this spiritual and there is this physical, almost this dichotomy, right? Mm. That that we have this spiritual soul that will go to heaven and this physical body that will one day like disintegrate into mm. nothing. And most often like the spiritual side of us is prioritized. It's yep. elevated. And that is a problem because that's just not biblical. Yeah. They're not, they're simply not biblical categories. Mm-hmm. The Bible totally. doesn't see yep. them as separate and doesn't put them in a hierarchy. Now, I'm going to be a little bit cheeky here. <laughs> if we want to continue to believe that the physical is bad and that the spiritual is good or that the body is bad and that the soul is good and elevate the spiritual above everything else, that's fine. You can do that if you want to. You just need to recognize that that's not Christianity. That's a different religion. It's a different worldview. So you can believe in the separation of body and soul, but you aren't living in a biblically based worldview if you do. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. (laughs) Was that too much? Oh, dear. Oh, I just don't know if I want to be associated with you anymore. (laughs) This is how our conversations usually go, guys. I say something kind of controversial. Emma recoils. Kind of controversial. Okay, quite I'm like, controversial. sounds heretical, but it's not. But it's, it's not. really challenging. Yeah, this is what we've been talking about. If the Bible doesn't have this separation of body and soul, if that's Greek thinking, and we want to continue on thinking that they're separated, hmm. that's not the Bible, and therefore that's not Christianity. Oh. So I know it's a massive claim, but I don't think it's outside, yes. you know, yeah. the no, realm of I reason. It. I hear it. Okay. <laughs> I hear it. Great. Um, okay. I'd like to jump onto heaven. Okay. So we've gone the from one controversial topic to the yes. other. <laughs> I'm just like, I'd like to jump into the whole, you okay. know, the part of our sentence or statement saying you're a soul that needs to be saved. We're just going to jump into our, so you can go to heaven when you die yes. side of things. Yeah. Because I wonder where all this soul stuff relates to heaven or at least mm. our ideas of heaven because mm. we learn about, you know, our soul's not disembodied, part of us is going to live on forever mm. while the rest of us dies. That's not the way it is and we've learned mm. where that comes from. But I want to ask our listeners perhaps, like when I say the word heaven, mm. what is the first thought that comes to your mind? Yeah. The first thought, heaven. Because <laughs> I know the amount of people mm. when I would say the word heaven would just think of, yeah, f- like white fluffy clouds Mm. and like singing shout to the Lord for the rest of our days. Yeah. Which doesn't sound that attractive. No. Appealing. Yeah. Mm. Appealing. Attractive. Mm. Both. Both. But I know you are so passionate about this topic, (laughs) Sophie. So passionate. So I want to ask what is unhelpful about the way Mm. we talk about heaven? Yeah. Uh, This is where it gets really complicated because what I'm about to say is almost going to sound like I'm undoing everything we've just talked about. So stick with me for a second. I think we'll get there, but it's going to be a bit confusing in the middle. Okay. If I was to die tomorrow, Mm -hmm. the Bible simply explains as much detail as it goes into is that I go to be with Jesus. I die tomorrow. I go to be with Jesus. Yes. The challenge is that my body goes into the ground and decays And so it's some other part of me, not my body, that goes to be with Jesus. Following Mm -hmm. so far? Yes. So it sounds a little bit like I'm backtracking on what we just said. So my body goes into the ground and something else, another part of me goes to be with Jesus. So after I die, after we die, some part of us does go to be with Jesus. Now, I would say that if you want to call that your soul going to be with Jesus, you can. It's just not the way the Bible uses mm-hmm. that word. Okay. So it's not what yeah. nefesh or suke mean. But if you want to say my soul goes to be with Jesus when I die, very specifically, you can do that. The Bible is mm. pretty clear that after death, we go to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. We would call this our life or existence after death. Yep. And yep. we could say our souls. 
if we wanted to. This is what people always have so many questions about this, like what happens immediately when I die. Mm. The problem is the Bible doesn't really care or isn't really interested in what happens immediately after we die. Like Mm. as much detail as the Bible goes into is to say, we are with Jesus. Yeah, you'll be with me in yeah. paradise yes. today. That's, that's just the it. kind of thing. And yeah. Paul says uh, it would be much better if I was, you know, dead and with Jesus. Yeah, just there. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's as much detail as we get on that. And I know that's so hard for people, especially if they've lost loved ones. The question people always want to know is, where oh, is yeah. my loved one? Absolutely. And the most you can say from the Bible is they're with Jesus. Like mm. that's as kind of as far as we can go. So N.T. Wright says that we call this time life after death Mm -hmm. when we go to be with Jesus. If you want to, and again, this is another, if you want to, if you want to call the time right after we die, where we're with Jesus, if you want Mm -hmm. to call that going to heaven, okay, no worries. Mm -hmm. It's just not how the Bible uses the word heaven. Okay. So we technically could say my soul is going to heaven when I die. And it's not necessarily biblically accurate, but we would be describing the state Immediately of, after death. Totally. That some, that yes. There's part of me that yep. goes with Jesus. Yes. Goes immediately to Jesus after I die. I die. Yep. It's just not how the Bible understands the word heaven. Okay. All right. Well, how does the Bible use the word heaven? Yes. Yeah. So two different ways in Hebrew. Um, so we're thinking Old Testament. Firstly, the word heaven usually just refers to the sky or the universe or the part of the world mm. that's above us, but the part that we can see. So when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Better translation for that would be huh. God yeah, created sure. the heavens and the sky. Gotcha. Heavens is unhelpful. Yep. I mean, God created the earth and the sky. Yes, yep, yep, yep. Yep. The second way he, the Hebrew talks about it is less common, and it's a way of talking about God's space. So hmm. where God is, God's hmm. space, the place where he has full reign as king, maybe would be a way to put it. Huh. And that's sure. usually in the Psalms, and it's a way of getting us to consider the realm or the reign or the otherness of God. Then in the New Testament, heaven is also about God's space, but it's usually paired with the kingdom. Yes. And the emphasis is on heaven coming on earth now. So we're taught to pray that heaven or God's space would come on earth today. So that's like a really brief overview, but Mm. it's not the same as what we imagine heaven to be. No. No. So heaven in the Bible doesn't refer to the place we go when we die. We can call it that if we want to but it's not necessarily the biblical usage of that word. Now, if heaven is God's space and mm-hmm. we go to be with Jesus when we die, technically kind of heaven, it's like, right? yeah, kind of heaven. Um, and maybe we can use that language for it. Um, probably what I find more helpful is theologians call this the intermediate state. Yes. Yeah, the middle, that. middle spot. Yep. So like we're alive, then we die, we go to be with Jesus. That's the middle time Dude, or the this is gonna... intermediate state. You reckon it's going to blow people's minds? I really think so. Mm. I just think this is hilarious because I think we've been having this conversation for so long. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, the first time I heard uh. that the idea of heaven or like our, when I die tomorrow, I'm there in mm. the heavenly place with Jesus, mm. that that is just like a middle in between spot. Yes. That's true. Blew my mind. Yeah. I, I, that's, that's a really fair point. Um, most people think that what we're talking about when we go to be with Jesus in heaven, if we want to use that language, mm-hmm. is the final it. resting place. Yep. But it is what theologians call the middle or intermediate space. Yes. So the imagination of most people has been that life after death is the final resting place, that our souls or part of us mm-hmm. go to be with Jesus mm-hmm. after death, and that's all there is. Yep. Done. So you can understand why the soul's right. going to heaven when we die 
is in our imagination. Totally. Because part of us goes to be with Jesus when we die. Totally. And that's where we get the whole like, oh, the Revelation 21 is outworked in that. Like there'll yep. be no more tears or yes. no more mourning. Like that's the heaven yep. with Jesus. Yep. What you're saying is that's an intermediate state. Yes. That's not all there mm-hmm. is. So mm-hmm. the thing is, the Bible isn't really interested in this intermediate state at all. We don't get much information about it. The Bible is more focused on two different times. Mm-hmm. The time we're in right now. Yeah. Our life before death. How we live today. The Bible's mm-hmm. really interested in that. And then the Bible is more interested in um, what N.T. Wright calls, and you have to bear with me on this one, he calls it life after life after death. So if if life after death is the immediate intermediate state, life after life after death is new creation, is resurrected bodies, is Jesus coming back to set all things right. Yes. The life we experience after life, after death. Right. So Jesus has returned, restored yep. all things, yep. renewed all things. Yeah. And now we're living in this life, which is after life, which yes. is after yes. our death. After death. Hmm. It's the final future destiny of God's people in new creation. And I get that that is complicated language and hard to get our heads around. But the point being, we have life now. When we die, we go to be with Jesus. And then there's something else coming when Jesus comes back again and ushers in the kingdom finally and fully, once and for all, sets all things right. And we experience life with God forever, new creation. Yeah. Okay, that's really hectic. Um, <laughs> I would like to ask, why does any of this matter? Yeah. So we could just continue on believing the Greek separation of body and soul. Mm-hmm. Like, is it really the end of the world? Oh, I don't know. But I guess, like, do we not want to be living our Christian lives within a biblical, biblically shaped worldview? Like, Mm. should that not be the priority? So, like, we could start a new religion based on Greek ideas and some churches already have. In fact, I would say most churches have because we've been so influenced by Greek thinking that it's effectively a different religion than the one the Bible is talking about. Like, this isn't just a cultural thing that we can take on or leave Mm. because the world's Mm. changed since, you know, first century Jewish life. But this isn't a, yeah, cultural thing as much as it is. This is a biblical thing. Yeah. And so my hope Mm. would be that we would want to see the world through the lens of the Bible rather than Greek philosophical thinking, that we would want to go back and ask, what? how did the Jewish and early Christian authors actually understand this? And when they wrote about it, what did they actually mean? Um, And a really good way for us to figure out if we're more aligned with Greek philosophy or more aligned with the way the early church saw saw things is how we define and explain souls and heaven. If Mm. we define that stuff as the separation of body and soul, there's a hierarchy, the body's crap, the soul is the good thing, Mm -hmm. then we're more aligned with Greek philosophy than we are with the biblical vision. Okay, so on that, I think I just want to touch on how... I think it's really important to see that this disruption of the way that we're thinking about this stuff is not just a, hey, we're here to tear down all your thoughts because Greek philosophy is bad and you're thinking badly, but it could actually be a really enriching Mm. and deepening thing. Yes. Like, because if we begin to see that our souls like are not just a spiritual part and we actually come to realize that this isn't just about me keeping my soul saved and trying mm. to save other people's souls that we can all go to heaven and, you know, make heaven crowded. Mm. Like when we begin to see that this is so much more about the here and now, yes. it's about how our whole being fits into that. I think 
everything will change. Like I think the conversations we have, the spaces we're in, our priorities will change and we'll begin to like start seeing the people around us differently and through a different lens. Like we won't be seeing people as a box that needs to Mm -hmm. be ticked and they need to keep that box ticked Mm -hmm. so that they can go to heaven with a whole lot of other people that also have their box ticked. But that we'll actually be able to see people the way God sees them, and yep. we'll be able to see people as people because God sees people as people. Yes, right. Yes, not just souls, or not just a, not just a, a, a part of this creation that's just going to end up in heaven. Mm. And so for me, this connects right back to our salvation and justice conversation, right? Like if we are simply souls that need to be saved so that we can go to heaven when we die, it doesn't matter what happens to people's physical bodies on Mm. earth. Yeah. But this understanding of the biblical way of seeing things where there is no separation between body and soul, that we are whole people means that both um, people need to know Jesus and their physical bodies need to be treated in a way that's going to lead to flourishing. Yes. And so it just, it takes me back to that conversation and makes me think this is even... Like this helps me see that as being even more important, um, that we need to work for both Mm -hmm. people coming to know Jesus and for the healing, wholeness, healthiness of humans. Totally. And that that isn't a bad thing. Yes. Like if anything, this is just broadening the scope and broadening our perspective. So like you said, we can see the the reign and the rule and the otherness of God to Mm -hmm. a whole nother level. Yes. Yeah, I don't think this is a limiting thing. I don't think this is a, oh no, I need to rethink everything. I think it's just expanding our view to say we are more than just our souls Mm -hmm. and God actually loves all of who we are and he loves all of creation and all of that is going to be restored. Okay, so if we just jump back into the first statement that we posed, Mm -hmm. just to wrap up, this statement that says your soul needs to be saved so you can go to heaven when you die, like we recognize that this is unhelpful language because it's not actually how the biblical authors understood those words in the same way we do because we have this heavily influenced Greek Mm -hmm. way of saying things. Mm -hmm. But Sophie, if you were to reframe that statement in light of what we've been talking about today and over the last couple episodes of death, resurrection of Christ and Mm -hmm. what that looks like for us to be... Uh, invited into that Mm. how would you reframe this statement yeah so if you pushed me to say how would I talk about this this would be the sort of thing I would say Mm -hmm. all of creation including the embodied resurrected individual gets caught up in God's saving and reconciling work and we dwell with God forever in his renewed and restored creation So that's the marriage Mm. of heaven and earth that we're going to unpack more next episode. But it doesn't only just have a future element. Like I believe fully and hopeful fully that future element, but it has a right now today implication because we have already been caught up in God's saving work. We are now invited to partner with God in helping build the kingdom on earth as it is in Mm -hmm. heaven and seeing his kingdom grow and flourish and be established across the earth. So we Mm -hmm. want to see people come to know Jesus. We want to see the kingdom values of shalom, of justice and Mm -hmm. righteousness and all those sorts of things uh, be fully realized on earth. We know that will happen when Jesus comes back again, but we've been invited today to participate in that. And that's really important. Yeah. And that that is the reality of God's saving work entirely. But we just want to say, like, if this is new and a bit confusing, that's totally fine. I mean, (laughs) this is something that's so ingrained in our way of thinking and it can be confusing and hard to hear um, that maybe the categories we've previously held actually need to shift or change because we've just been swimming in water and you don't really realize like what water you're swimming in. Um, And so as always, we just encourage you guys to keep wrestling, keep asking questions, keep trusting Jesus. Um, he's good and he's restoring all things. Yep. So 
bless you guys as you go out into your week or life or whatever, and we will catch you in the next episode. Bye. See ya. What's in their mind? Is it like the parts clouding at the beginning of The Simpsons or is it what's in the Bible? They're two completely different things. Did you just say the parts clouding? Oh, (laughs) probably.